Welcome to the Seek Podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm Erin Falbo, your host for this season. Each week, we're sharing content that dives into the heart of the gospel, who God is, who we are, and what it means to live in relationship with Him. We're excited to walk with you as you encounter the Lord. In this episode, Paul and Kay Halfman offer practical, concrete ways to teach parents how to encourage faith development in their children, beginning with family prayer and morality. Using stories and humor gathered throughout their 33 years of marriage, our next speakers share the lessons they've learned, for better or worse, along the way. Founders of D6 Ministries, they equip parents in sharing and passing on the Catholic faith to their children. With great encouragement and a healthy dose of humility, they offer practical wisdom to parents who desire to teach their children the beauty of Catholicism. Speaking today on raising faith-filled children in a secular world, please welcome Paul and Kay Halfman. Hi, welcome to our presentation. This is Raising Faith-Filled Children in a Secular World. I'm Kay Halfman, and this is my husband, Paul Halfman. We are with D6 Ministries. Just want to give you a quick little background on who we are. Uh, We've been married for over 33 years. We have seven children. Our oldest four are married, and uh, we have five grandchildren and the oldest is five and we had four born this past year so we're very excited about that you could say we've been in the business of raising kids for over 30 years we've had a lot of ups and downs and fights and chaos er visits and and just the like and and i'm sure you all get that the challenges can be exhausting um and we've been there as as parents but god has put it on our heart to help parents like you in ways to bring the Catholic faith to your children and, uh, and bring it alive in your home. So D6 was inspired by uh, some parents that approached us who said their adult children were no longer going to church and practicing their Catholic faith. And they had such heartache, and we had heartache with them, and we shared that. And we were just like, what, what can we do? And God said, you can do something. And we were like, us? And, and so we pursued and we approached other families that had children, grown children, that continued in their Catholic faith. And we had interviewed them as well as, uh, it was over 100 people. So through their collective wisdom and through our own experience, we developed D6 ministry. D6 is based on Deuteronomy 6. And it's when uh, Moses was on his deathbed, and God says to Moses, Take to heart these words. Drill them into your children. Speak to them when you are busy or at rest. So it doesn't matter what it, it goes on in your life, whether it is total chaos or serene peace, you have to drill the truths, the Catholic truths, into your children. So we believe God is calling us as parents to pass on the truth of Jesus Christ to our children. And so uh, we just want to share with you today uh, things that we have implemented in our family because we believe if we teach our kids when they are young, they will have deep roots and they will continue their Catholic faith. As parents, we have an innate sense that we all want what's really best for our children. Depending on where your kids are, maybe they're, they're little babies still. Or maybe you have toddlers. 
maybe they're in preschool, but we just want what's really best for our kids. So when they get into school, they start learning, right? They learn how to, how to read. They learn how to write. They're learning math. Those are all important things, and as parents, we encourage them. We want them to do those things. But there's many other things we do with our kids. Again, as they grow, we get them involved in sports, which is a good thing. It's fun. Or learning a musical instrument, or dance, or ballet, or all different kinds of things that we do for kids. And each of them are all very, very good. We spend a lot of time and a lot of money. Myself, with my kids, I coached them for many years. I spent countless hours playing ball with my kids and loving it. And that's all really good things. Here's the one thing that sometimes we don't do so good as Catholics. We don't teach our kids to pray. We don't introduce them so much to the love of our wonderful God, our Lord and Savior. Kind of, in some ways, we've outsourced the faith as Catholics. We've outsourced it to maybe Catholic schools, um, maybe to a CCD program, a religious ed program, whatever you have, a PSR program at your parish. And we're like, okay. Church, you take care of it. But nothing really could be further from the truth. Those are all wonderful things. But the church calls us. The church calls us to bring that faith to our children. It says we are the first teachers. John Paul the Great says the role of parents is irreplaceable. And in the rite of baptism, when your children were baptized, the, the, the quote from the catechism is parents are the first teachers of their children. In the ways of faith, we need to teach our children how to pray because when we do, we're introducing them to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into an intimate and personal relationship. This is our job as parents, it's the most fundamental thing we can do. We would never say to our children if they were reading a book, Oh, don't do that, don't read the book, let's do something like a video game, right? We would never do that, and yet, as as parents, sometimes we can neglect. We can neglect teaching them how to pray. And you can start when they're very young, um, even as toddlers. Our oldest grandson, who's now five, when he was only a year and a half, uh, we, he was at our house, and we were praying before meals, and he, you know his parents had taught him, and he knew. Now, he didn't do this with his hands, but it was like this, and he kept doing this for the uh, sign of the cross. He knew, though. He was being integrated into the faith, and he knew. So simple prayers, our fathers, Hail Marys, um, doing petitions together, taking your children to Mass, even the younger they are, the better. It teaches them that this is their community, our faith community. Uh, with primary age, you can do the Bible stories, you can do the saints, books of the saints. Uh, the children are so moldable their, their hearts are wide open, and they just take in everything that we offer to them. So personal prayer. Teach them how to be thankful in their day. Teach them how to intercede. Uh, maybe their friend's dog died. Pray for that. Pray for the family. Um, we also had a pastor when our children were little. He was over for dinner, and he told us, he said, never skip your night prayers. And we kind of chuckled. And he said, no, I'm serious. Don't ever skip your night prayers. And we were so like, okay, yeah, we, we won't do that. And so we, we, we do our night prayers every night. And we did it with the children when they were little. And then when they get into high school, 
you know, it, it gets a little crazy with homework and busyness, but we always invite them to be a part of that. Um, we have some other friends who they have seven children. They nighttime is insane for them, so they choose to do the morning prayer, the morning offering, while they sit around the breakfast table getting ready for school. I think that's beautiful. Whatever works for your family, but do it together and and keep it simple, simple and consistent. That's what I always say: simple and consistent. Uh, just that's what you need to do with for the children to keep at it. Something that we always did. Which we felt was really enhanced our our kids when they went to mass is just the short drive between our home and our parish. Every Sunday morning, I would read over all of the readings, and then on our drive, I would share just a quick summary of each of the readings, and then maybe the overall theme of what was going on. This this did a couple of things. First of all, it kind of got the kids、um, thinking about mass before they got there. Okay,、uh, as I said, as coaching. I always wanted my kids to have their heads in the game before the game to be ready to be prepared. So it was kind of like putting on your game face on the way to church. But it did several other things too. It, it, it helped them become familiar with the scriptures because sometimes if you just hear them for the first time, it can be really difficult to understand and comprehend what's being said. So I think it really helped. And also the other thing I think was very very important. One of the things you want to do in your family is you want to integrate your faith. Not just what happens at church, but what happens in your home. Integrating it into the point where it's natural to be praying together as a family, to be worshiping together, to be talking about God. Not just when they're in church, not just when they're in religion class, but kind of all the time. And we would often on Sunday nights we would reflect back on it when we would do our Sunday night prayer. We would share what touched you today. What did the priest say in his homily? Is there some sort of change you need to make in your life? Where you might need to improve a little bit, and we would share those things. We would so again, it's integrating your faith into your daily life. And then sometimes we'd even come back later in the week if someone said, "Well, I need to work on this." We'd come back say maybe on Thursday or Friday that week and say, "Well, how are you doing with that? Did you do that?" So it's kind of bringing everything full circle. They even go a step further. If it works better for your family, you got to take these things and do what works for your family. Maybe you do it on Saturday night at dinner before. You talk about the reading. Whatever you do, as Kay said, just be consistent. That's the vital part. Another powerful way to pray with your children is what Saint Ignatius taught, and that is prayer through the imagination. Again, children are—they have such an active imagination. So when you, when you teach that, it's it, you teach them to close their eyes and have someone read the scripture and have them imagine that they are. Either a, a, an observer in that scripture, or perhaps an actual character in that scripture, and then and teenagers alike love to do this. It, it was amazing to us when we would pray that for our evening prayer. The conversation that would happen afterwards, everybody had a part to say, you know, and and that was it was very, it, it was a really key way to pray. Another form of prayer is to offer up our sufferings. What does that mean? Well. It means when I have a hurt, maybe or a, a child skin. If I have a hurt or a child has a scraped knee, you know, to offer up that suffering for someone else who has a, a bigger hurt, it doesn't take away our suffering, but it gives it purpose. It gives it a meaning. And I, we have our daughter Grace who gets migraines really, really bad, and it's it's bad and.、Um, 
when she's suffering through that and she's just like, oh, I'm so horrible. And I, I've taught her to offer up that suffering for someone else, maybe someone who is dying, maybe someone who is homeless, and it gives it a purpose. And it still hurts her tremendously, but it gives her a, 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 a reason to offer up that suffering. As your kids are growing, depending on where they're at in their age, but once you get to like second grade and they make first reconciliation and first communion, you can begin to introduce them to them, simplified examine, which maybe at your night prayer, you just take a moment to pause and reflect on your day. Where did you see God working in your day? Where did you make a mistake? You know, just as a way to uh, in, in inwardly examine your conscience, and that's a really important thing to do. And then as you pray together, to pray a personal prayer. We think that that's important. The personal prayers are good because it develops that personal relationship with Jesus in their own words. But of course, so many other prayers are wonderful as well. Um, the, 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 along with the Our Father and the Hail Mary, there's the Angelus, which is a beautiful prayer. The Memorari, they go a little bit deeper. The, the Sushipe, which is Take Lord, Receive. And we teach them these prayers when they're younger because there may come a time in your life when things are just falling apart and you don't even know how to pray, but you can fall back on those prayers that you know. And that's a very, very powerful thing to pick you up when, time, when things are difficult. Another thing that we also do with our children is we pray the liturgical seasons. So Lent is coming up. So we would often do the good deeds jar and we would put in little slips of paper of things that we have done throughout the week, and then we read them on Sundays. You could, on May and October, uh, celebrate Mary, and you could have a Mary statue prominent in your home, and you might already, uh, but maybe add, add flowers throughout the whole of May and October. November, remembering the holy souls of purgatory, you could set up a little place also for the, your deceased loved ones and have that you know as you pass it. Pick a saint for the year. Uh, that, that's another way. But pray through the liturgical season. Those are all uh, other ways in which you can incorporate prayer with your children. And again, as your, as your kids grow, it's really important to share your own personal stories of what God has done in your life. To share you know, how God has gotten you through the difficult times. Maybe even somewhat you share a little bit of your mistakes and your regrets, but how God has redeemed those things. In, in, in Deuteronomy 6, D6, Moses commands the Israelites to share their stories of all that God has done in their lives. Children love stories. Children love stories, and it will help them develop a deeper trust in God. It will also help them see God in their daily lives. I just want to take a moment to talk a little bit more about a deeper prayer. And St. Therese says, for me, Prayer is a surge of the heart, a glance toward heaven. It's just a beautiful thought, a beautiful way of thinking about prayer, a glance toward heaven. And you want to go a little bit deeper. On the cross, Jesus says, I thirst. St. John Paul teaches us that when Jesus is saying, I thirst, he's not calling out for a drink of water. He's calling out for you and me. He thirsts for our love. Each and every one of us have, Jesus has a thirst for us to know him and to love him. And only 
you and I, only us, we're the only ones that can quench Christ's thirst. So think of that the next time you go into quiet prayer, that you can help quench Christ's thirst. And of course, he will quench your thirst. We want our prayer to go deeper and closer and to tell God how much we love him each time we are in prayer, but also to receive that love that he has for us. And so now I want to ask, how do we form our children's conscience and their morals and teach morals and values to them? Well, we need to strive to live with integrity. And what that means is that we live what we say and we say what we live. There can be no duplicity whatsoever because you will form your children in integrity and character by the way you live and by the way you model. You have to take an active role in forming their conscience because if you don't, the world will. And I don't think any of us want the world to be teaching our children their values and their morals. So in forming their conscience, you can never compromise on morality. Every family can be a little Nazareth, a microism of the holy family. What I mean by this is, is we can take the ordinary in our life and elevate it to the extraordinary. We can take ordinary deeds and they can lead us into deeper holiness. So imagine this in the holy family. I can picture Mary. And she's knitting a shirt for Jesus. And as she's sitting there, she has joy in her heart, knowing that this is going to, to clothe the Son of God, her beloved Jesus. I can picture Joseph working in, the wood, in, in his shop with wood, and he's cutting and sanding. He's building a table for Mary and Jesus. And I can see him whistling and smiling and doing it with so much love. We can do that in every day of our families, whether you're doing the dishes or cooking dinner or you're taking care of young ones and meeting their endless needs, washing the clothes. All those can be acts of love and acts that can lead us deeper into holiness, using the Holy Family as our guide. We, our homes can be a little Nazareth. For me, Joseph, especially with this past year being the year of Joseph, it's just become so much more intimate in my life, in my heart. And where we live, we have a fair amount of, of land that needs to be taken care of, a lot of woods, and there's always work outside. There's always trees to be trimmed, and there's hot, difficult work sometimes. And when I do it, I think of Joseph, and I try to remember the joy that he has in, did it, in doing it for the Holy Family, and we can do that in our very own family as well. Mother Teresa says, do ordinary things with great love. And through this, this example, and you can teach this to your children when they're doing stuff, when you ask them to do the dishes or whatever, to do these things with love. This is a really, really powerful thing to do in your family. And I want to encourage each and every one of you to go to Mary, to go to Joseph, to let them be your intercessors for all that you do, to give you the strength when it's difficult, to give you wisdom teaching your children, to ask them to pray for your children, to pray for their holiness, to pray that they will grow in love and in faith. Use them. They are the best intercessors, the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, for your family. 
No one is perfect, and our family is far from it. We have all said things and done things. Uh, we've grown impatient with one another. But one of the key things and important virtues in families is forgiveness. And in modeling Christian behavior, you're teaching forgiveness is the first and foremost for your children. And, of course, children fight, right? Um, but we have taught our children to say, will you forgive me instead of I'm sorry? I'm sorry doesn't really take ownership. It can be contrite, but, it do, but we say, will you forgive me? Because that take, puts it on me. And then the other person would respond, yes, I forgive you. Sometimes they need a little cooling off period. It doesn't happen immediately. But we do teach that to our children. And, and it also extends to us as parents and as adults. I, I'm going to tell you the story. When my kids were little, and there were seven of them, and running around crazy in the morning, getting ready, lost shoes, maybe a paper that needed to be signed, uh, a lunch that didn't get made, you know, craziness. And I would be screaming and yelling, we got to get there, we got to get there, we got to go, we're going to be late, we're going to be late, and screaming at them the whole ride to school, and then get out and say, have a good day. And off they went. And as I turned to drive home, I was so convicted that like, I had like, crushed their spirits, and they were not going to have a good day. So I drove back up to school, and I, and I asked for the children to come and meet me in the front lobby, and I got down on their level. And I said, listen, I was so wrong this morning. The way I treated you, the way I yelled and screamed, will you please forgive me? And, of course, each one of them were like, yes, Mom, I forgive you. And we hugged and I kissed, and, and I knew that their day was going to be better. And by doing that, as they were little, I knew they, they, they learned that. And, and now our, like, 17-year-old son, just the other day, he was yelling at me and being all grumpy. And he came in and he said, Mom, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't talk to you that way. Will you forgive me? I was like, yes, I forgive you. So by modeling that to them when they were very little and humbling myself as an adult, it teaches our children as they grow up to do the same. And I would just share, interject, that as men, it can be very difficult to do that, to admit we're wrong. Not all men, okay, but, but some of us. It can be very difficult and very humbling. And, and I made many mistakes and lost my temper with the kids and then had to go back and say, will you forgive me? My reaction was, was over the top. Will you forgive me? Probably the hardest thing to do, at least for me, but for many men, to humbly do that. But this virtue is critical in your life. You really need to, to be a people of forgiveness. You want to have a close family, a loving family, a little Nazareth. Forgiveness is vital. One of the most important virtues you can You're modeling humility when you ask for forgiveness and you're teaching them to forgive, which is godlike. So recently I got a car, a new car, and with it came this manual, right? The owner's manual that's that thick <laughs> and all that. So just go with me a little bit. I'm going to share an analogy. So I get this car, it's got all these gadgets on it, and I don't know how that works because, you know, things change and everything's different. So I'm fumbling around, using the wrong things, doing it incorrectly. If I keep doing that, I could possibly break things. Right? But take it a step further. Let's say I knew nothing about cars. And I didn't look in that book and it says, well, you know what? You need to change the oil at 3,000 miles. You need to rotate your tires. You need to check your brakes at a certain amount of time. So if I didn't read that manual and if I 
didn't know anything about cars, those could have catastrophic events. If you never change your oil, eventually it's going to break down. You're going to blow the engine. You know, or even worse, if you never fix your brakes, eventually they're going to fail and you're going to crash. Terrible things. So the owner's manual built by the or made by the company who built the car, right? Because they built it. They know how it works and they're telling you how to do it. So we have an owner's manual as well. And for us, the owner's manual from God is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments given to Moses. And it says in Exodus 31, written by the finger of God. The finger of God. These ten words, the Decalogue, ten words spoke on a mountain. Out of the midst of fire, the thick cloud and darkness, and the voice of God. These words are the gift of God himself. They are the absolute truth. They are the owner's manual. If you want to live a good life, if you want to know God, love God, and serve God, these are vital. So we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments a little bit. Our catechism even says the Ten Commandments are engraved by God on the human heart, engraved on our hearts, not just on stone on that mountain, but they're in our hearts. So we're going to break apart the Ten Commandments just very quickly with each one and what they mean. So the first three deal with our relationship with God, and the last seven, our relationship with others. The first commandment is love God first, have no other gods. So God is the same yesterday, today, forever, and he loves each of us intimately and eternally, right? And as much as God loves us, as much as we love our children, God loves us quadruple that. But we can fall into false idols. Well, maybe you don't intend to, but if possessions, your career, power, status, maybe you're into superstition, sports, other than the superstition, all of those things are not evil in and of themselves. But when they become our priority, and the only thing that we can think about, they become a god. They become an idol. And they consume us. And that's when it becomes a problem. In the first commandment, we are called to nourish and deepen our faith and our relationship with God. Just as we nourish our bodies with food and water, we need to nourish our souls with our faith. And we need to strive to know and love God more. Most of us would agree blasphemy is wrong. Blasphemy is an insult that shows contempt or lack of reverence concerning God. The church teaches taking the Lord's name in vain is blasphemy. It's serious. And yet in our lives, we hear it almost on a daily basis, maybe multiple times a day. It's serious. If we fall into that, we need to ask God to, to give us the virtue of fear of the Lord. That also goes to not just God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Blessed Mother, and the saints. They're holy. We should not take their name in vain. The next commandment is the Holy Sabbath. And we know that in the church, in the church we celebrate the Easter every Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter. And that is the Holy Sabbath, the eighth day, the new creation. And yet I know through the last almost two years with COVID, um, many, many people have fallen into getting very lax about going to Sunday Mass. 
It's crucial. It's vital to your family. Take your kids, even if they're toddlers, even if they get a little crazy. It's a great thing to take them to church because they come to know this is what our family does. And we worship with this parish community. It's really important. If any way you've gotten lax or haven't gone to daily mass, I'm sorry, Sunday mass, um, you need to ask God for the grace to do that. You need to ask God for a deeper holiness and reverence to be able to do that. But the Sabbath means more than that even. Scripture tells us over and over that the Sabbath was created for God and, and for man, for man to rest. Sometimes Sunday, and it's, it's very easy, this is a day to catch up on chores, right? This is a day to watch sports. Guilty, okay? <laughs> um, this is a day to do anything else but rest because it's our one day to get everything done. I want to take us a little step further and say, no, the Sabbath is about relationships. It's about your family. It's about being together. Plan to take a picnic that day with the family. We did that so many times. It's a nice day. Let's go do something together. Let's nurture those relationships. Have a family dinner. Spend more time in relationships. That's a little bit more of what the Sabbath is like. I also want to say what we are presenting, I think, is kind of a high bar. It is. But Christ calls us to, to walk the narrow road, to go through the narrow gate. And we have failed. In every one of these, okay, in some way, we're all human and we all fall short of the glory of God. And thank God that he gives us the grace of reconciliation, the sacrament of reconciliation, so powerful to wipe away our sins. But let's strive to enter the narrow gate. Let's strive for excellence in our family and teaching them prayer and morals. The fourth commandment is honor your father and mother. And the catechism says the family is the fundamental community of a parish, diocese, and the entire church. Our homes are a domestic church. We have seen many families where the parents want to be friends with their children, and that's okay to a point. But when they start getting older, your children start getting older, the parents need to bring guidelines and structure and boundaries. And trust me, your children want that. They might rebel against or not rebel. Your children might not like those structures and boundaries, but they need them. They really do desire them. And you are the authority giving those. And by that authority, then, your children will learn to respect you. And that is honoring your mother and father. So you're teaching your children to respect authority, their mother and father. But it also goes to adults, that we need to honor our parents, even as they age and they become mentally incapacitated, or perhaps they cannot move around very fast and we have to go slow with them. But it's still to love them and to honor them in a loving manner as we relate with them. The sixth commandment can, well, the the next six can be summed up by love your neighbor as yourself. The fifth commandment is thou shall not kill. I don't know that any of us are murderers out there, but let's look at what we do do by killing. Jesus warns us on the Sermon on the Mount to stay away from hatred, vengeance, and anger. Not anger the emotion, 
but rather anger that is bitterness that builds up a wall between people. Our words can kill. Our words can, can break people's spirits. We can also, uh, we need to have dignity for all people. People are all different, poor, homeless, uneducated, but we need to teach our children that we need to be kind in our words and in our deeds with all people. We need to teach our children the evil of abortion and that killing of innocent life and all violence is not to be tolerated. And we must do our part to share in that fight for injustice. Beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1, tells us God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And then he looked at all that he had created, and it was very good. It was only after he created man and woman that God looked at creation and said that it was very good. The church understands the sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, as encompassing all of our sexuality. This has been so distorted in our society in every way. You want to protect your children to the max. You need to protect what they see, what they hear. And what I mean by that is you need to really restrict what they can see as they're growing up. From what's on the internet to the movies and the shows that they watch, you need to protect them. It's really, really important because if not, the world is going to shape them and their, their view of sexuality, and it's going to be very distorted. It's so difficult in today's world, but we want to bring them the truth of our sexuality, the way John Paul defined it in the theology of the body, that our bodies are good. So. I would say even a step further, you need to even protect them from even sometimes as husband and wife, you might be watching a show and it might be totally appropriate for you, but then boom, a scene pops up. You know, that's not appropriate for your kids. You need to turn it off right away or you need to find a way to skip it because even if they're not there watching, it's amazing how all of a sudden something like that happens and they're like looking and they're, you know, and interested. That can form them too. So you need to protect them in every way. And keep in Keeping this, PG-13 does not always mean that it's appropriate for 13-year-olds. We, we have a website that we've done with our oldest when she was young. It's called kidsinmind.com. And it teaches, it, it shows you all the things that are going on in a movie, from the sexuality, the violence, and the language, and the theme of the movie. And it will tell you if it's appropriate or not for your children. As Paul said, you need to talk about sexuality gender issues, homosexuality with your children as they grow, and age-appropriate with them. We always uh, find that when we're driving in a car, when our children are captive audiences, that's a good time to talk about those heavy subjects, about chastity. We would take our eighth graders out when, right before they were going to be confirmed. We would take them out and have them sign a chastity commitment card and then also give them a purity ring. And if you're hesitant to talk about chastity because maybe you've made mistakes in your marriage, before your marriage, know that God can redeem you and your mistakes. He wants to forgive you. He wants to love you. And remember, behold, he makes all things new. But teaching chastity to your children will help them to have a healthier and happier relationship with their future spouses. 
And there's so many resources out there on chastity. Um, there's books. There's YouTube videos. Christopher West, Jason Everett. Many, many resources out there. That if they're of that age, they get up to 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And you can begin to share those things with them. And it's just vital that they know that those are your standards to live chastity, to respect themselves and their own bodies. Seventh commandment is thou shall not steal. So that's pretty straightforward, respecting the goods of others. But also, don't steal someone else's reputation by gossip and slander. Keep that in mind as well. And God is truth. His word is truth. His law is truth. In this Eighth Commandment, we are to be people of truth. We are not to lie and deceive. Never, never lie. If we want to be people of integrity, we need to speak the truth to our children, to one another, no matter what it is. I know that when I'm tempted to lie, it's generally because I feel like I'm fearful of something. I maybe fear the consequences of actions. I might fear the rejection of another. I think we need to be people of truth. Don't ever lie. Don't let your children lie. Don't let them lie to you. Let them know that that is one of the most serious things that they could do. We always shared with our kids, do not lie. If you do something wrong, just tell us. But don't lie because you'll break our trust. This is especially as they get a little bit older, too. You break that trust, it'll take a very long time to rebuild. We need to be people of truth. And I will just share one little simple uh, example. We used to have a landline. We used to get calls from solicitors. You know, and this is a small little thing, but it speaks to what I'm talking about. And if the kids would answer the phone and they knew I didn't want to talk to whoever was soliciting us, I would actually have them say something of the nature, well, he's unavailable right now. Um, instead of saying, he's not here. Because he's not here would be a lie. And I didn't want them lying. Even a little small thing like that, I didn't want them lying. But I'm not available because I was doing something. Just, again, a little small thing, but to be a person of integrity and to model that to your children. I think that that's so vital and so important. The ninth commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or his home. We're all fallen, right? Prone to original sin. And again, in society, we're bombarded. With, with sex and so many different things. In the movies, the internet, even the advertisements, it's continuous. Because our sexual drive is very powerful. And marketers know that. So we've been sold this, this terrible lie about our sexuality. Um, strive for purity. It can be very difficult, but strive and ask God for the grace to be pure in your thoughts and what you see. And eliminate things. And pornography is a terrible scourge on our society today. There's a lot, of, a lot of places out there where you can get help with that. This is a really tough commandment in our society. And if we struggle, we need to strive for that virtue, that virtue of purity of heart. And the Tenth Commandment completes the Ninth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So we are, as Paul said, bombarded with ads that are, you know, sell the sexuality, but also sell us this new product or that new thing, this new gadget, the new phones, have to have it. Well, just remember that all the gifts that we have are from God. 
And even if you work long, hard hours and you're like, I deserve this, just remember it is a gift from God. And to always be thankful for all the gifts that God gives us, to be content with what we have. Maybe some of you do struggle to make ends meet, but just be thankful that you have food in your refrigerator, that you have clothing, that you have a car to get you to work. So always remember to be grateful for your own gifts and not to be envious and always looking for something else. So this is the Ten Commandments. This is God's manual for our life and for our family. These are the building blocks. Focus on the virtues, okay? Remember, the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God is his truth. Use this as the source and the foundation, teaching your children morality and informing their conscience. So we just want to also conclude with uh, our family life can be very crazy with seven children, and we've had our moments, and like we said in the very beginning, we would deteriorate sometimes. But we had a scripture passage that was our guiding light, and we would bring it out time time, time and time again. And I even framed it at one point, and you all can get your hands on it as well. It's Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And I want to read it to you because it it is just the, the scripture that would reset our family. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if one has a grievance against another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also do. And over all these, put on love. That is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. It's so simple, but it's everything that we just shared. Again, when we would deteriorate into chaos and fighting and unforgiveness, we would pull this out and it would reset us because we would talk about what does it mean to bear with one another? What does it mean to have kindness? What does it mean to be gentle? That was our family model and our kind of our North Store to guide us when, as Kay said, things kind of got a little bit out of hand. So just want to wrap up. We, we were blessed in our life to have a small faith community of three other couples we met with every month for 33 years. Um, that, that group, they became like family. We even did a retreat every summer together. If you are watching this with a group of people, let that become your small faith community because we couldn't do it alone. You need one another, other families to support you. If you're not with a group of people now, if you're by yourself, Seek out a few other families in your parish, like-minded, so that you can encourage and help each other, so that you can lean on each other and pray for each other. That small faith community is so very important. I can't emphasize that so much, to have a group of people to walk through life with you and to help you as you're raising your kids. And I just want to conclude with the scripture of Matthew 7, verse 24 and 25. The rains fell. And the floods came. The winds blew, but it did not collapse because the house was built on solid rock. Build your house on the solid rock of Christ. Build your house, your family, on prayer and teaching your children morality and the commandments. 
And when the storms come in your life, or in the lives of your children, you will withstand because you're built on solid rock. Your children will have deep roots. That's what D6 Ministries is all about. And we'll be praying for all of you out there and wishing you all the very best. Thanks. Thanks for listening, friends. To hear more content from speakers like this, join us for Seek 24 in St. Louis, January 1st through the 5th. Visit seek.focus.org to learn more.